delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and welcome back to this little experiment that I call Everybody Trades. And thank you all so much for joining me. As usual, and as usual, I have some controversial takes, so strap in, everybody. And you know what? To get my controversial takes started, I'm going to quote from a guy who, well, some of you might find controversial. Eh, probably not if you're listening to this, to be honest, but certainly I've come across these people in my life. And that man is none other than syndicated columnist, George Mason, university professor and economist, Walter E. Williams. And yes, if, if you're a Columbia person, you may remember Walter's columns were frequently published in the Columbia Tribune for many, many years, syndicated in the opinion section. And well, just to start it off, I want to read to you a couple paragraphs from a Walter E. Williams column from 2018 entitled Educational Fraud Continues. Walter begins, Earlier this month, the 2017 National Assessment of Educational Progress, a.k.a. the Nation's Report Card, was released. It's not a pretty story. Only 37% of 12th graders tested proficient or better in reading, and only 25% did so in math. Now, before I go on here, let me remind you that the National Assessment of Educational Progress is a congressionally mandated measure. We're not talking, this isn't some libertarian think tank here. So you would think that the public schools, the state, if you will, they would have all the incentive in the world to lie, to juice, to make these numbers appear better than they are. They don't want to make themselves look like failures, but here they are. This is based on their own numbers. And Walter Williams continues here. The atrocious NAEP performance is only a fraction of the bad news. Nationally, our high school graduation rate is over 80%. That means high school diplomas, which attest that these students can read and compute at a 12th grade level, are conferred when 63% are not proficient in reading and 75% are not proficient in math. He continues, it's grossly dishonest for the educational establishment and politicians to boast about unprecedented graduation rates when the high school diplomas, for the most part, do not represent academic achievement. At best, they certify attendance. All right, so again, let me, let me recap here just quickly because I know sometimes stats, numbers can be a little bit tough in audio form. Essentially, while over 80% of high schoolers are graduating from high school, the majority of those students cannot read or do math at a 12th grade level. So according to Walter Williams, these are fraudulent degrees that are being handed out. And according to Walter, obviously the, the inference here, the implication, I should say, is that this is bad and that public education has been a gigantic failure. Well, onto that, Mr. Williams, Dr. Williams, with all due respect, sir, I believe, in fact, for different reasons than you do, of course, that public education has been a wild, incredible success, at least from the, from the point of view of the state. Not the students, not the parents, not me, not probably you, and not Dr. Williams. But from the perspective of the state, there can be no doubt that public education has been an incredible success 
for the state and its interests. Because to me, it's quite obvious that the number one goal of public education or government education, as I will call it, is to convince people that they need the government in order to survive and thrive and live happy, freedom-filled lives. And again, from their perspective, from the government's perspective, what else do you you possibly need them to learn? If your goal is to control the population, to teach them what you want them to know, well, what what a perfect scenario. And quite honestly, dumber people are easier to control than smart people. Certainly, the ignorant are easier to control. And quite honestly, I speak from, from experience on this. I went through public education my entire life. K-12, through public education. College, went to Missouri, another public school. And boy, they start you off really early with the idea that government, the U.S. government, obviously, in this case, is absolutely necessary to all of our lives. See, the one thing I definitely remember from kindergarten, other than the ABCs, I suppose, is the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes, I could recite that thing to you right now, word for word. And boy, the Pledge of Allegiance, what an absolutely perfect metaphor for public education. See, take the word when you say indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I'm sorry, when I was six years old, and I was a relatively smart six-year-old, I'd like to think, My six-year-old mind could not comprehend what indivisible meant. Now, you could have broken it down for me and said, well, they literally, hey, you take this cookie, and if I'm unable to tear it apart, that means it's indivisible. It cannot be divided. Maybe I could have understood that concept. In fact, I'm sure I could have. But in terms of indivisible, in terms of a centralized government power, in terms of all of the effects that that has on natural rights, and the concept of natural rights, morality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that is a lot. That is a whole lot for a six-year-old to take in. And despite of that fact, we still make every single six-year-old, at least in my kindergarten class, not only memorize that Pledge of Allegiance, but recite it at the beginning of every single day. Again, no real effort made to give any context about why the Pledge of Allegiance is being said, It's just simply, hey, you drones, memorize this, stand up and recite it, will you? Who cares what it means? The point is, is you're all doing the same thing because we're telling you to do it. That's the real message. Now, of course, fortunately, now that I'm no longer six years old, some 31 years later, I am able to conceptualize what indivisible means. And obviously, in this context, individual, indivisible is all about secession. In other words, no states, these these 50 states, none of them should be allowed to secede. That's pretty clear. I was talking about the cookie, right? Well, we can't take Georgia or Florida or Missouri or California or any of these states. Once you're in the union, you're in it. It's indivisible, right? And a big part of a big part of what public schools teach you, and I would say they're, they're borderline desperate for you to believe that secession is really all about slavery. It's rooted in slavery and racism and nothing else. But really, all, indivis- all secession means is simply, when you're saying, I would like to secede from something, 
a group likes wants to secede from something, all that group or person is simply saying is, I no longer want to be a part of this arrangement. Brexit is a secession movement, without question. You can say what you will. You can be pro or against Brexit, but certainly that is a secession movement. And again, we see the same deal, right? A lot of the, the pro-Brexit people, the people who would like Britain to get out of the European Union relationship, well, they're all being branded as racists by a lot of these state actors, right? Big surprise. This is as old as time. But again, is just simply someone or a group saying that I no longer want to be a part of this arrangement. And in the and in the case of the European Union, what's that been around? 20, 25 years, something like that? So you're telling me that Britain somehow could not exist after this point of time. It's amazing when, when the state gets its claws into something for long enough, that idea is really hard to uproot from people. And that's really the the whole point of government public education is, again, to just teach you things that they want you to believe. Get it ingrained at a very, very young age. Again, like this idea of indivisibility that we see in the Pledge of Allegiance. But let me challenge that. Again, if you think this is, oh, well, you're talking secession, you must be some anti-abolitionist slaver. That, That must be what I am, right? Well, allow me to challenge that particular notion. What if a geographical area in America consisting of majority black people wanted to secede from the United States, say, during the 1930s. How do you think that would have gone over with the majority white American government? And I bring up the 1930s because government schools also whitewash, completely whitewash highly contentious things from the past, like the New Deal. You see, you read a public school textbook and you'd think, why Social Security and all this alphabet soup nonsense of new government agencies and works projects were almost universally popular and successful, and the only people who had any problems with them were racist, again, anti-abolitionist idiots. But here's what they don't tell you. Here's the part of that history that they leave out from the 1930s. Again, the alphabet soup. I bring that up because there was lots of like three-letter agencies, different administrations that were created. Among them, the NRA. No, not the National Rifle Association, but the National Recovery Administration. See, again, there was a whole lot of just giant infrastructure product projects. You know, that's, this is a time where a lot of dams were built the idea that, oh, we need to spend money in order to juice the economy. We need a centralized government to take money in the form of taxation and inflation, and then, well, then these brilliant people will know where to put this capital, and then jobs will be created. Now, you know if you've listened to me for long enough that this is Keynes and this is stupidity, but the reality is this is what happened. And what they don't tell you, again, about the National Recovery Act, the NRA, Well, what most black people called it, the black workers who would have liked to have gotten some of these jobs that were created by things like the NRA, well, they called it Negroes Rarely Allowed. That was the joke that they made about the NRA because while their tax dollars were certainly being taken, while their savings were certainly being inflated, 
the monetary base was being inflated, so therefore their savings was worth less than it otherwise would have been. That's a secret hidden tax, a hidden theft, if you will. So while black people were paying for the National Recovery Administration, again, they called it Negroes rarely allowed because they weren't benefiting from it. Despite the fact that they're paying this money via taxation and secretly via inflation as well, they didn't get the jobs. They didn't get the benefits. So if black Americans at those times wished to secede from that particular arrangement, or indeed the entirety of white government domination over a black population at that time, think the Jim Crow laws, that strikes me as 100% rational. Why, would, why wouldn't anyone want to leave that arrangement? Wait, screw you, so I have to forcibly pay this in and not get the benefits? Oh, screw you, whitey. That would be my reaction, I think. And if that was somebody's reaction, I'd be going, yeah, that makes sense. Kind of seems like they're in the wrong and you're in the right here. But, but in this world, apparently ethics and morality, well, that's just for, that's for the naive. That's what I'm often told. Oh, well, your version of morality, blah, blah, blah. First of all, it's not my version of morality. I know the difference between right and wrong, and so do you. But unfortunately, we have politicians that believe that they are smarter, wiser, and more important than God, apparently. I'm sick of this whole idea. But again, the point is, is while you and I, as I've hopefully as I've laid this out here, again, black Americans were forced to pay in via taxation into the National Recovery Administration, yet they obviously didn't get the benefits. So if they wanted to secede from that arrangement or indeed get rid of the whole government, start their own government, again, that's a totally sane idea. But here's the problem. I'm guessing, and I think you know this is true as well, I'm guessing that the indivisible United States government wouldn't have gone for it. What do you think? You see, the reality is, is democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. Now, unfortunately, liberty in terms of human nature is much the same. But in that case, the wolves find out that the sheep is highly intelligent and well-armed. So with all that being said, I'm going to get out of here for the day, and hopefully you've maybe realized that public education eh, isn't quite what it cracked up to be. And also realize, I've mentioned this before, but you know, in 1979, that was when the Department of Education came along, and somehow people act like, again, well, that arrangement, we couldn't possibly secede or end the Department of Education relationship. Why, it's been around since the 70s. Who cares if people are way less educated than they were previously? Well, that has nothing to do with anything. I just There's a circular logic there that drives me crazy. And, well, my sincere hope is that all of you are much too smart to fall for that nonsense. So with all that said, I'm going to get out of here on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as I have. Easy for me to say. <laughs> Until next time, I am John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades. Thank you.